The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Those words in that first reading from Acts today come at the end of a story. I'm not sure why the lectionary writers who decide what we get to read on Sunday morning saw fit to jump over the story and just give that little bit from the end, but they did. And the story needs to be told because the story is really the point. It goes like this. Now, there was a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion. He works for the army of the Romans. He's part of the Italian cohort, and he lives in a town called Caesarea. He's a pagan, but he and all of his household, all the people in his house, his family and his servants, are all followers of God. Somehow they've heard you know, about the Jewish God, and they are trying to follow the commandments of God. He is very generous to the poor, he prays all the time, this guy Cornelius. And one day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he is praying, and he suddenly has a vision. And I mean plain as the nose on your face, he sees an angel walk through the door of his house. And the angel knows his name, and the angel says, Cornelius. And Cornelius is terrified and speechless, and he just stares in terror until he finally finds his voice and he says, what is it, Lord? And the angel says, your prayers and your donations to the poor have ascended as a memorial before God. So now, you need to send some men to Joppa to fetch Simon, who is called Peter, who is staying in the home of another fellow named Simon, who happens to be a tanner and who has a house by the seaside. Then the angel leaves. And Cornelius immediately, immediately obeys God's command. He calls in two of his slaves and this one guy who's a God-fearing soldier on his staff, and he tells them everything that's just happened and what the angel said to them, him, and he sends them on their way to Joppa. Now, about noon the next day, as these three men are getting close to the city of Joppa, it happens that Peter is headed up on the roof to pray. Now, these roofs are these great big flat uh, roofs in the open air, so there's a nice breeze, and he's in the habit of praying. Then at noon, he's an apostle. He's one of the ones that Jesus has sent out into the world to take the good news of God's love to everyone, beginning in Jerusalem and then on to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But they've kind of gotten stuck and they've been sticking close to home until now. While Peter's praying up on the rooftop, he gets hungry. So he must ask somebody in the house that he's staying in, if they would fix him a bite to eat. And they go off to fix his lunch. And while he's waiting for his lunch, he falls into a trance. And he has a vision. And in this vision, he sees heaven opened up and this giant sheet being lowered by its four corners coming down from heaven. 
and, and suspended there in front of him. And inside of the sheet are all manner of creatures, four-legged animals and creatures, but also reptiles, which are unclean and forbidden, and birds of the air, and all these things that Jews are not supposed to eat. They are forbidden by God to be eaten. But a voice tells Peter in the vision, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter is horrified. He says, well, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. And then the voice says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And Peter's not convinced, so the voice has to say it three times. What God calls clean, you must not call profane. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Then the sheet, with all the creatures and the birds and the reptiles, suddenly is whisked back up to heaven again, and Peter is stupefied and trying to figure out what it all means. The next day, I'm sorry, while he's still up on the roof, pondering this, suddenly there's a voice at the gate. They don't have doorbells. It's still like in Africa today where people just walk up to the gate that's out in front of the house and, and you call in a, a greeting, a respectful greeting. So there are people calling at the gate of Simon's house in Joppa. It's the three guys from Caesarea, the ones that were sent by Cornelius, and they've got to be feeling weird in this Jewish neighborhood. You know, they've got to be feeling out of place. They've got to stick out like a sore thumb. They do not belong here. It's not their area. Every, I imagine the neighbors are all kind of looking out the doors and standing in the street and wondering about these three dudes. And they say, hey, is this Simon the Tanner's house? We're looking for Simon, who is called Peter. Is he staying here? Now, Peter's still up on the roof, and in the meantime, while they're asking this question, he's hearing the voice of the Spirit again, and the Spirit is telling Simon, look, there are three men here searching for you. Now get up and go down and go with them without any hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter goes down the stairs from the roof down to the main level, and he walks out into the courtyard, and he walks out to the gate, and he says to these strangers, I'm the one you're looking for. So what's up? And they say, well, our boss, Cornelius, is a centurion. He's an upright and God-fearing man. That's code. It means, you know, he follows the Jewish God, but he's not a converted Jew. He's well spoken of by everybody in the Jewish nation. Got a good reputation. He was directed by the holy angel for you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say to him. So Peter says, come on in, you can stay here tonight. Now, Gentiles and Jews do not go to each other's houses. They do not eat one another's foods. They just do not mix. And now here he is, it's just, just not done, but these Gentiles are going to go in a Jewish house, are going to eat Jewish food with total strangers, with weird foreign ways, but they accept the invitation and they go inside and they stay there for the night. The next day, Peter gets up and he goes off with the three men on a journey back to Caesarea, to the house of Cornelius. And some of the believers in Joppa decide to go along with him. 
A couple of days later, they get to Caesarea. Cornelius, it turns out, is expecting them, and he has gathered all of his extended family and all of his neighbors and his business associates and his friends and companions, and he has them all there in his house. So there's a crowd waiting in the house, but they don't know it yet. And they walk up, and Cornelius comes out of the house to meet them, and he falls down at Peter's feet and begins to worship him. And Peter says, no, 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 get up. I'm just a human being. I'm only a mortal. And they enter the house, and this is the first time in Peter's entire life that he's been inside a Gentile house. I mean, that was like, you didn't ever go in a, that was unclean, it was profane, it was against God's will, you never went in a Gentile. First time, it's got to feel weird. He goes in there, and he sees all these people gathered in this house, and Peter says, you yourselves know that it's unlawful for a Jew to enter a Gentile home or to associate with a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anything profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without any question. Now, why did you send for me? God is changing the rules. Peter begins, sorry, sorry, Cornelius shares his story about his vision and the command from God and how it was he came to send these three guys to fetch Peter. And then Peter begins to tell his story. And he says, you know, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message that he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses, Peter says, to all of this and all that he did in Judea and in Jerusalem and how they put him to death by hanging him on a tree and how God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to those of us who were chosen and who got to eat and drink with him after he was raised and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one. The prophets testify about him that anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And Peter is still speaking. He hadn't even finished making his point yet when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, falls upon all the people in that house. All of those Gentiles are suddenly seized by the Spirit. It's just like that time in Jerusalem in the inner room when the Spirit at Pentecost rushed in on the gathered apostles. And the Jews from Joppa who would come with Peter are astounded. Can you believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit would even come upon these people? Pagans? Gentiles? But it's obvious that the same thing is happening to these folks that had happened to them. And then Peter says, can anybody withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? It reminded me of another story. The Spirit hasn't stopped doing this stuff. 
The Spirit's still breaking down walls and forming connections and linking us up to unlikely people and unlikely places, things that we hadn't thought of. Now, there was a woman named Nadia. She used to be a stand-up comic. She was also a drug addict, an alcoholic, and kind of an all-round mess. But she's gotten sober through AA. She's replaced drugs with CrossFit workouts and clean eating, and she has fallen in love with liturgy and Lutheran theology. She has gone to seminary, and she is now planted in Denver, Colorado, where she is trying to start a new church. Nadia doesn't look like the traditional Lutheran pastor. She wears a black sleeveless clergy shirt, showing off her full tattoo sleeves down both arms, full of religious symbols and pictures of biblical women and other characters. Her broad shoulders, killer delts, and biceps are shown off. She has short, spiky hair that's getting a little gray in part. She wears glasses and has the vocabulary of a sailor. She said she wanted to start a church where she would fit in. A church for people who were like her, people who were not so traditional, people with a past, people with demons and struggles, people who were looking for purpose and for forgiveness and for healing and love. So she starts holding services in her garage, you know, with just a handful of people. And uh, she's living in kind of this edgy part of town in Denver where, you know, all the artists and the LGBTQIA plus crowd are hanging out. And she uh, begins to get a little bit more of a following, and the church grows, and they get to where they have 45 people. You know, over a period of years, they grow to 45 people. And then it just kind of settles there. And they're not getting any bigger, and they're not getting any smaller. She says, you know, and the thing is, we get these young people, and, and people come, and they join for a couple of years, two or three years. We have them, and I, we think we're going to grow. And then, you know, they move away. So they just can't ever get any, any real growth. And she's getting frustrated, and she's getting burned out, a little bit irritable because she says she's having to pay more than her share of the bills and she's doing more than her fair share of the church work. And she's just struggling because she can't make this thing grow and she had this great vision. And she says, surely there are more than 45 people in Denver who need forgiveness and love and purpose and community and healing and a place to worship God. So she starts praying that God would please make this little mission church grow. Please help her get the word out. And suddenly, out of the blue, there's this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. She gets to, invited to preach at Red Rocks, which, I don't know if you've been there before, it's a huge, massive, kind of famous outdoor arena carved into the Red Rocks of the foothills, you know, outside of Denver. And then the Denver newspaper runs a front-page feature story about Nadia and this little congregation, and suddenly they are big news. Overnight, the attendance shoots up to 80. It doubles. Nadia is not happy. The people showing up aren't the people that she's been looking for. They're not the people that she had envisioned. These people are just different. She's getting 
soccer moms and corporate dads, people in chinos and dockers and lopers, people from the suburbs, people who would fit in anywhere, she said. They aren't her crowd. They aren't fitting into her vision, and they're changing her landscape. She says, I'm afraid now that the cool, edgy people, all the cool misfits are going to leave now that people that look like their parents are showing up at the church. So she decides she's going to hold a meeting of the congregation, which is going to include all these newcomers, you know, and she's going to explain to them basically why they don't fit in and why they're not part of her plan. And then she calls a good friend, and she's just whining to him on the phone and griping to him about, you know, I've got all these people, and they're showing up, and it's all these suburbanites, and they're just, you know, they're going to ruin everything, and they're going to just change the whole mix of the church. And this just isn't what was supposed to happen. And he says something about her wanting to have a welcoming church, but that she's not very welcoming. And she says that's when God started to change her heart. So she goes and she has the congregational meeting. It's already set up that night. But she starts the congregational meeting by confessing her attitude and all that's been going on in her mind and her heart and her struggle with these newcomers. And then she invites the newcomers to share with the group why they wanted to come to church for all sinners and saints. That's the name of the congregation, the church for all sinners and saints. They said they were there because they were hearing a message of forgiveness and hope and healing and purpose, and belonging, acceptance, and love. And they needed that. They needed